Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide to the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for front lines tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, join me and Daniel Yang on Frontlines. The Frontline program seeks to encourage and equip pastors and planners to better understand and navigate the current and future trends in church ministry. Each episode invites thought leaders and advanced practitioners in ministry to inform and inspire pastors and planners as they continue what they do on the field. Welcome back, Exponential. I'm Peyton Jones, and I'm here with Daniel Yang, my co-host, and this is Frontlines, and we have a special guest today. His name is Damian Boyd. You may know him, and he is a pastor in Atlanta, uh, formerly, but we're going to talk about that, a vertical, and married to a former co-worker of mine. I, I like to think of her as the smartest woman on the planet, um, Dr. Zaret Boyd. And uh, we're and he's also the uh, author of multiple books. But we're going to get into who Damian Boyd is. But first, I'm going to hand over to Daniel Yang. Well, I was thinking, man. Um, first of all, I'm so appreciative of Damian and his work, uh, your writings, your leadership influence. So appreciative. But I, I figured the best way for people to get to know you, Damian, is if I were to ask you. Uh, a really, really important question. Are they going to be a tell-all type question? All right. Part of this is inspired by Peyton Jones and his uh, just you know his love for Star Wars and his never-ending background pictures of Star Wars settings. But <laughs> man, if I were to say, or if you were to say, uh, you could be any one character from Star Wars that would be most descriptive of you, or you maybe you aspire to be. Uh, let the geeks know who that person would be. Uh, for me, that would be Chewie, Chewbacca. And nice. I'll tell you why. Chewbacca kicks butt. Uh, he can be in his own zone, but he's loyal. He fights hard, and he always does the right thing. So, well, you know, the right thing for him. <laughs> I have so to say. I like Chewie. I have to say, I teared up when uh, Chewbacca heard that Leia died. That, that, that got me. Not as much as I cried and bawled like a baby when Yoda said, I love you too, Chewbacca, and hugged him. But nobody oh, remembers dude. that one in the prequel. No, I didn't cry during that. I was a little bit like, what? But yeah, the, it, it got me when he fell on the ground and, you know, that, that, that got me. kicks massive butt. Yeah, so, I, so, I agree. So Tell me about his language. What do you know about his language? What do you know about like <laughs> his communication? And you got to be a better preacher. Well, than well, you hear the gruff the growl in my voice, <laughs> so I identify with yeah. Chewy. Except he's tall, and I'm 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 not. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> hey, so, you don't have to tell. Zoom can't tell. Zoom can't Zoom tell. Can't We're good. Tell. So just let's just consider Chewy speaks in tongues. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. And Han Solo has a gift of interpretation, and obviously. He has a gift of interpretation. That's how it works. Interpreter. <laughs> what about you, Daniel? What about you, Peyton? Like, I, you're the one that inspires this question, man. 
Well, besides all of the inappropriate answers I gave from Star Wars uh, beforehand, um, I, I'm torn because part of me wants to be the Mandalorian, but I know everybody else wants to be the Mando, right? But uh, I think if we're talking original trilogy, I'm watching myself in the mirror get kind of old and I'm digging the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi is probably my favorite character for multiple reasons. He's got wisdom, which I don't. I wish I had a lot of wisdom, so I admire that about him. But he's never been defeated in a lightsaber duel, ever, throughout the entire thing, other than when he just goes, okay, Darth, you get this one, and he just stops, you know? But I, I think that goes to show you he would have still beat Darth Vader in that fight it had he wanted to. So I kind of like, you know, the old mentor. I guess I trained church planners. So Obi-Wan works for me. And uh, <laughs> if you want to call me that, church planners, I'm just saying I'm, I'm totally open to it. You know, I won't be weird. <laughs> Bro, you just, took, you just took the nerd level, like another level. Because you, yeah. you applied it to church planning. That's <laughs> what I do. I make it weird. So Daniel, so. what about you, brother? Man, given this conversation, I am the Jar Jar Binks. Binks <laughs> was so happy to be on this show. <laughs> I'm just glad that I made it on one one of them. So, oh man, you can't pick Jar Jar. You can't pick him. Erase me if you need if you need to. <laughs> That's so good. If it wasn't for the gospel, then I'd be Jar Jar Binks. Oh man, hilarious! That is awesome. I'm I'm thinking all these theological implications of what we could do with Jar Jar. There you go. But hey, if you're still tuned in, I will tell you this. Todd Wilson, the uh, CEO of Exponential, big Star Wars fan. I remember when I was interviewing for the position of content director, we were in, in the talk, the talk. I looked behind me and said, what is that behind you? He has a talking Yoda. And he has promised me he may will it to me. So we'll see. But I told him, I don't know. I think you need that. You know, that my, my, my cool factor for Todd skyrocketed the day I saw that. Okay, I'm, I'm about to get you in trouble now. So come on, Damien, let's try to get him in trouble. Uh, so if you were to peg Todd as a Star Wars character. Ooh. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. That's, that's a good one. Oh, oh he has got to be Watu in the prequels because that man can negotiate. I mean, I have never, ever seen anyone negotiate like Todd Wilson. I will not. I remember when they came in, they, they, gave, they offered me my figure, and I went, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, I ain't negotiating with Todd Wilson. Yeah, so, I, I go Yoda with Todd. Yoda. Yeah, you're right. You know, because he literally, I'm, I'm not even making this up. He's probably the smartest dude I've ever met. Uh, literally probably the smartest. He, to, he's got to be Yoda. To the degree that he sounds like he's talking in riddles. <laughs> you have to zipper <laughs> what he's saying. Multiply your church, I will. <laughs> Plant out, you will. I love it. All right. Well, hey, lest I do get in trouble, because, you know, we, we got Daniel in trouble with his boss, Ed Stetzer, when he was on, and that was my goal. Now that Daniel's gotten me in trouble, we're even. However, we got to get into this. And, Damien, you, you, uh, you are really kind of unique in the sense that um, – during this time, you're, you're wanting to lean into the pain of, you know, hey, COVID, let's, let's stop talking about the next thing you got to do. Or, you know, you're like, hey, there's a lot of people dying out there. There's a lot of people hurting. There's a lot of people that are struggling. Nobody's talking about it. I remember you and I had a conversation. You're like, if, if you have me on, 
I want to talk about that. Well, you're no stranger to pain. Um, you've, you've had a lot of hardship. I mean, obviously working with Zaret and getting to know you through her, I, I, I know that you guys have a special needs son. That's provided tons of, of, I know both hardship and joys all at once. I have a special needs daughter as well. But uh, as, as you put it, he is severely disabled. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what life is like for you in normal times. Oh, well, in normal times, I try to explain it this way. Um, well, first, I'm the father of Damian Boyd Jr. And uh, his mom named him after me because she loves herself some me. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, he was born. He had a massive brain injury. Uh, it's so much so that I've actually talked about it in a couple of books, another one, and in mine, the idea that something so beautiful can be so broken. He's 100% dependent. Uh, he is completely, we have to feed him, change him, walk him. I was talking to uh, some fathers recently that pastor, um, well, and they have a, they have sons who have autism. And I said, yeah, the uniqueness is when I go to my son's room in the morning, I don't know if he's going to be there. So my wife and I talk about this dynamic where most people have stress levels at about a five or a six. Our stress level hovers about an eight um, on a normal basis because we always have to be thinking for, preparing for, moving for him because he's, in, he's 100% in need of our care. But at the same time, he's warm. He's, he's the sweetest guy you'd ever meet. He, he loves people. He engages well. And you just love to be around them, but life's still tough. And then, you know, you walk through that uh, with a wife that's smarter than me and, you know, what you going to do? What you going to do? Damien, <laughs> <laughs> what was, what is it like pastoring with, uh, you know, a, a son that needs you all the time? And then, you know, go into answering the call to, to be a church planner, because that's another level of ministry that, requires more energy than, you know, just stepping into an existing pastoral role? Oh, you know, it's one of those deals. If it wasn't God calling me to it, then it would be the dumbest thing ever. Uh, because I can't just, I had to be on call on a regular basis where it's like, hey, I'm out. My son's in the hospital. Uh, I got to go. You know, there's something going wrong. Um, even to the degree of, you know, ministry doesn't really allow you to make a whole lot of money. Um, not when you do it right. Uh, uh, and I'm not, no, don't, that's, I'm not condemning guys who make good money because they're You're free to talk here. I've been a missionary. Big, you hear me? Extremely big churches and they're doing incredibly incredible stuff. But the average church planter, the average pastor is not going to make a ton of money. So the reality is doing it in that when your son needs a new vehicle and it's like, well, how do we pay for a new vehicle? Because um, he can't just be in any old vehicle. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate, you know, um, healthcare in a church setting? And most churches, they leave their pastors have to figure out healthcare, and we can't lose our healthcare. All those things are necessary. So, like I said, you have the I have to preach, teach, shepherd, lead, but at the same time, I have to carry that. But let me tell you something that's pretty powerful as well. When I walk in the door, people believe me when. I speak because of my son, because you know, I'm not a guy who's sleeping on gold pillows. You know, I'm not a guy who has life handed to him on a silver platter. You can just look at my son 
and look at us and go, you guys are serious about this. Uh, so he, he, my son displays the cross without even trying. So for me, I show up, he comes in the room and he's always the loudest worshiper in the room. Always, he will worship you under a table. But when that happens, the beauty is he preaches more than I do from stage. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, tell us a little bit about Vertical Church. Give us a little bit of the story of how it was planted and where, where you're at today. Well, uh, right now, um, we planted Vertical in the hardest part of the city of Atlanta. I'm sorry if I look a little sad. It's because I am. We planted in the hardest part of the city of Atlanta, a place called The Bluff, um, amongst the poorest of the poor and 10,000 college students. Um, we planted that church on purpose. Uh, most people thought that we couldn't make it a year, let alone two, and we made it to eight. Uh, we planted that church to serve the least of these, and we did it with great intention, and we made a difference in the city. You can see back on the wall, um, that's from the state of Georgia. A church that never got over 100 people in size was recognized by the state of Georgia because of the difference we made. We, missional is a thought and an idea unless you do something about it. Well, we did very intentional missional work in a hard community that no one thought was possible. And I loved it. And I loved the people I did it with. And I loved the community I was amongst. And I'm welcome to come back because we served so well. But right... Um, it was a hard road all the way, raising money nonstop to do this work uh, that we loved. Tens of thousands of hours of community service. We were ridiculously effective, but just not financially advantageous. So talking to God and fasting, praying, I had a deep sense, Holy Spirit unction to shut things down in February as we were celebrating our eighth anniversary and I couldn't explain it and I could not give you an answer as to why all I felt was God speaking. The board was unanimous. Everybody was a hundred percent. We believe this is God. Um, well that very next week, cause we're in the midst of 10,000 college students, the very next week college students go away for spring break. They never come back cause COVID shuts the world. Back. And the 10,000 people we used to impact this very depressed community, depressed, oppressed, everything but impressed. Um, the people that we were using to impact this community disappeared and it's been a ghost town ever since. So what God did is he gave us kind of the cheat code to COVID, but it didn't make it easy to say goodbye to something we love so much. It didn't make it easy to have to, wish farewell to something we were dying for. Um, and things in the last two years, we were so committed to the work. The last two years, I, I went like, I'd go four or five months without getting paid just to continue the work. So I wasn't in it for the money, not that it was a lot of money, but I just really wanted to fulfill the mission. And we ran that until God said, well done next time in a new season. <laughs> and uh, seven months later, we went seven months without any income. I had uh, thousands of dollars uh, ready to go with youth camps. Uh, I, I'm a youth camp speaker and I'm, I got thousands of dollars lined up and traveling and inspiring students and COVID said, nope, that's not happening either. 
So we literally struggled, had to go to food banks to eat. Struggled um, with a wife with more degrees than all three of us put together. And, and we had to go to the food bank to eat. Until one of the, our board members who was a pastor in Kennesaw, Georgia, said, look, man, we're looking to hire somebody. I need somebody like me on staff that can preach, teach, shepherd. Um, you have some production background. Would you be willing to be our online pastor? I couldn't pay you what you need to be paid, but I will do my absolute best. And so for the past six weeks, I've been working at LifeBridge Church in Kennesaw, Georgia as their online pastor. I'm also kind of the teaching pastor. I do 50% of the messages, but um, loving serving a new community, but I'm still very much heartbroken over the work we were doing in the city of Atlanta because I loved it. so. Yeah, Damian, man, I just want to thank you for, uh, number one, your faithfulness in that work. I mean, I know um, that it, it probably wasn't easy to get into that decision, and I know that it was just you responding to the Lord. Uh, but I think, man, if, if, you, if you can allow Peyton and I to press into that a little bit because it is October Pastor Appreciate, Appreciation Month, it is also, uh, you know, in the midst of the fall season where a lot of pastors are ramping up. And to be honest with you, it's a question a lot of pastors ask around this time of the year. You know, do I keep going, you know, uh, and how do I keep going? So if you don't mind, I, I think this is going to minister to a lot of people. Um, can you walk through just like the emotions of having started something? You saw it give birth. You saw it grow. You saw it go through its challenges. Uh, and then... Man, you're, you're a couple of months removed from having, having uh, you know, closed the church. Like, what does it feel like? Um, how, what does it do to your identity? What does it do to your, uh, you know, as you're moving into this new role? Uh, can you talk about some of that? Two things I'm thinking about as you, as you say that. One, um, it messes with your identity. Uh, we're in a culture, much like Jesus's culture where what you do is who you are. And we can love to live in that space of pastor, um, that sage space. But who are you when you're not in that space? Who are you to the people you serve? Who are you to the world if you no longer have that stage? Um, and it forces you to remember that your identity is in Christ, not in what you do which is where we have to separate from the culture and own that biblical truth that I am who he says I am. And I walk where he says I walk and I do what he says. Now, if I'm not in that role, he still called me to it. He still is giving me assignments. And if I'm in between assignments, it doesn't rob my identity because my identity is not connected to this thing called this church. It's, I, it's connected to the greater ecclesia that he's called me to. And so I am still who I am. And hear me, when I say it's a wrestle, it's a legitimate wrestle where, you know, I'm a guy that gets called into big churches to preach and teach. And it's like, do they think I'm a loser? I'm a failure. Does this speak to me not being all that God wants me to be? Are they going to believe this narrative or that narrative? Or, you know, because there are people that 100% believe that if your church shuts down, you failed, you're just not a good pastor, sucks to be you. Um, and that's a horrible way to see things. That's a horrible way to look at things, especially when you don't know the details. 
Uh, and I tell people all the time, well, if I was that bad at doing what I would have done, then wouldn't one of my board members not have hired me <laughs> to say, hey, uh, I love you. I think you're awesome. You did a great job. I want you on my team. But, but you still have to wrestle through that. The second thing is it robs you of your confidence. It robs you of your confidence. And I'm, I'm a big confident guy. I'm not a guy that feels insecure or inadequate. I know where my power comes from. I know in who I believe. But at the same time, walking into a new position, it robbed me of something. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know if I fit in this environment. I'm used to being a big dog. I'm used to being a guy that I'm the main guy. I make the calls. I don't make the calls anymore. Somebody else is making the calls. And I have to continue to learn the lessons that qualified me for that position. Lessons like when you're faithful with someone else's, God can give you your own. You know, those are good lessons to learn. Lessons of humility, lessons of serving others, lessons of honoring others. Those are lessons that never die. So I still have to go back to that. And shortly I realized, okay, yeah, I'm getting back in my rhythm, but it is not easy and it's not simple. You have to literally war within your soul to come to those places. It's really good, man. I, I, you know, for, for me, I'm a, a serial planner, so I leave and hand off, but there, there's this land between that you wander. That's, that's kind of a, a tough place to be in your so what you're describing is where you don't preach anymore. You know, you don't, there's all these things that were a part of your identity that aren't anymore. Um, but I run a, a apostolic training network called New Breed. And our, our thing that we constantly tell, because they're all going into tough neighborhoods and things like that, and maybe doing innovative things, they're all bivocational. 100% of them is bivocational. And they're all you know, we'll, we'll tell them, hey, the only failure is the one who didn't try, right? And, and Paul did, to, to a certain degree, Paul had some failures. Um, Galatians, you know, we read that verse where uh, he and uh, Barnabas say, hey, let's go back and strengthen the churches. Of course, they didn't make it because they had a falling out, but, um, but that's not a happy verse. That strengthen the, the works we started is hey, these are the Galatians, like they're a mess. And Paul writes things in, in the, the letter to the Galatians, which is not your experience. Um, but it, imagine being Paul where he just knows I didn't do it well, right? I mean, you guys did a great job, but Paul's looking back going, I leave people in place. I didn't, you know, I didn't make sure they had the right foundation of the gospel before I left, you know, and he's thinking, he, he says, I, I, I'm concerned that I wasted my time with you. <laughs> like, whoa, you know, like that's heavy. You know, Paul is just thinking, I blew it. And of course he changes tack. He switches up from then on and he, he does things different. But um, speaking to the generation that is out there right now where, you know, you're a seasoned veteran of planting. Um, there's a bunch of people out there right now who are in this, they just launched or they're in their first or second year. Um, and, and they're wondering, should I shut my church down? Um, you know, being in the unique position that you're at, you obviously felt God, you know, circumstances were such that in some ways you, you had no choice, but at the same time, um, you also felt very much God giving you that release from that mission, which I think is merciful as well. God cares about 
the missionaries as well as the mission. Absolutely. But what what would you speak into the lives of those that are out there, their heads spinning, trying to figure out what do I do now? You know, I, I mean, all my fancy plans have been wrecked overnight. Well, the reality is um, God is not freaking out over COVID the way we are. Let's just settle that. Our sovereign God, who is omnipotent and omnipresent, time for him is nothing. He is not losing his mind over COVID. So the question is, God, where are you and what do you have for me in the midst of it? Now, that's a hard question because you actually have to listen and you may need to miss some meals and spend some time in intense prayer uh, to get the answer for that. So I'm not making light of that because that's a hard place when you don't know what to do. That's that whole season I was walking. Like, I don't know what to do. But the reality is we have to go back to good theology. What do I mean go back to good theology? If you're struggling right now with where do I fit and do we close, do we all that, one, you have to understand that the place you're in, the place of struggle is not an odd or weird struggle biblically. You look at David, why have you, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which was repeated by Jesus. That place of feeling forsaken is a normal and a common place. There's nothing wrong with the feeling and it doesn't mean you've abandoned God, and it doesn't mean you're, in, you're not going to continue on, but you have to feel that and continue walking. Like the rest of that scripture, Psalm 22, is I'm going to look to God. I'm going to take my eyes off of my situation and put them on a God who's bigger than my situation. First, if we don't get our theology right, then we will feel like God has walked away from us because we're having a hard time. That is not biblical. You can look at Ezekiel, who's doing weird street theater and in pain as he's laying on his side and grilling poo to eat. You can look at Jeremiah, who was depressed because the work he was trying to do in getting people to return to God wasn't happening. You can look at so many of the apostles who never finished their earthly mission because they were killed. The walk that we've been given is one that is filled with hardship, difficulty. And I didn't talk about Job because we, Job is the easy go-to, but the Bible's filled with these stories of people who are having struggles and difficulty in ministry. Your responsibility is to follow God no matter what. If he takes you to the hard place, if like me, he sends you to a food pantry, well, thank God we were serving so well that the food pantry knew who we were. And when we came, they were like, no, you get extra this. You get extra that because we work side by side. Failure is not following the call of God. Failure is not following the call of God. It is success to follow God even to the dark and hurting places. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God walks with us through that valley. That is a place that is ordained. Sometimes you got to go through the valley to be able to eat by the still waters in the presence of your enemy. And you're in the valley where death is so close, its shadow is over you, but the shepherd is with you through the valley. You cannot quit halfway through the valley. You got to get through the thing if you're going to be who God wants you to be. But that doesn't happen if you're risk adverse, and it doesn't happen if your strength is small, and it doesn't happen if you are refusing to follow the call of God for something 
else, if anything else is better than the call of God, please go do that. Because maybe you haven't earned the position to be here. And I'm not saying that out of a preaching, yelling at you. I'm telling you what I've been bleeding out of my life for the past nine, 10 years serving God in dark places is necessary. Everybody's not called to the nice, cushy, comfy, comfortable place. More often than not, it's hard, it's tough, it's ragged. And we look to those stories of people who look good in ministry that have the big names that are releasing all types of books. And we want to be those guys. You got to be who you are. God is calling you to your mission field to do your work the way he's called you to do it. And failure is not doing that. But if you do what he's called you to do and the thing that you do doesn't pan out perfectly, it's still a success because faithfulness is the measure of success in the kingdom of God. Mm. Man, I've, you're ministering to me. I mean, you, it really, I mean, it's, it's hitting home, uh, brother, on so many different levels. Um, you know, you find out in ministry that as you go through the, 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 the highs and the lows, the mountaintops and the, and the valleys, that at the end of the day, it's really about your own discipleship. It's like, it's not as if God needed you to do these things, but he's invited you into it for the express purpose of a relationship with him so that he can mold and shape you to be uh, a son or a daughter for his reconcilia- reconciliation purposes. And and you get changed in the process, man. And, and I just, I mean, that's ministering to me, all the things that you've said. Uh, David, can you give us like just on the ground when you're processing this, who's your mentor? What are the conversations you and Zara are having? Uh, Who's who's calling you up on Monday to check in on you? Like, what's that been like for you? Well, uh, let me say honestly, um, believers suck at this. Let me just say that flat out. As we're going through this dark season, I had a handful of people I knew I could lean on. I thought more people would have reached out to me to check in on me, honestly. But I have a few. One, Brian Bloy, um, who's great at planning churches. He's been shepherding me very well, loving on me, checking in on me. My, his wife's checking on my wife. He's been just a rock star. Also, uh, Brett Andrews has been amazing for us. He's a uh, new life in, outside of DC, phenomenal leader. And just I just care about you as a person, David. And I just want to know how you're doing. And I want to know that you're okay. Both of those guys have done that. I've had a few other, one of my guys, um, I'm at a, I've been in ministry so long, I have like grandchildren. Uh, which is a cool thing in ministry. Um, But one of the guys that I discipled, loved, he's a pastor here in the area. He would call me every other week. I just want to know how you guys are doing. We're praying for you guys like crazy. Um, Sometimes we can be so busy that we can forget that one of our main responsibilities is to shepherd and care for people. We can be so busy trying to do the next thing or worried about our stuff that we can fail to care about somebody else and their stuff. Um, and I've been guilty of it. I'm just saying that that's, it's a human nature because the job we do is the second most stressful job in the country, so says analytics. And realistically, it's hard, but sometimes you never know. I mean, let's be honest, in ministry, we have brothers and sisters who have, aren't around anymore. And not just in ministry because they felt isolated and alone going through a lonely time. Now, granted, that's, 
that's dealing with mental health issues and other things, but the reality is it's happening. And sometimes one call, one check-in, one I'm thinking about you, one cash app, this is just a gift for you because I love you. It doesn't mean anything to me. That $50 doesn't mean anything to me, but it may change your whole world. It may put gas in your car. It may make sure your kids eat. That little moment of encouragement can change someone's life. And too often as pastors, we can be so busy that we forget that one of our key responsibilities is to care. And I'm not shaming anybody. And this isn't to put anybody down because I know people have their own issues they're working through. But the truth is, this is one of those areas we can't be missing in action. Amen. We, 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 we can't be absent when it comes to care because that is one of our primary responsibilities. You know, it's, it's funny that you're saying this because I had an epiphany this year. Um, the network I run, not to bring that up again, but my goal is not to like make this big thing. My goal is to have the most loved, best taken care of planners on the planet. And that was my epiphany because I've been taken off task over the last where I'm spinning plates and building other people's things and doing all this other stuff. And I, I had an epiphany this year where I was like, I just got to look after these guys the best I can. And it's male, female, you know, so my wife's in on it. We're tag team and stuff. So I, I don't take care of ladies, but you know, the, the reality is that, um, we'll have guys that for whatever reason, they'll go through circumstance like you and they're like, Hey, um, I'm going to, I'm going to come out now because I'm not playing. I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you're still going to be on mission, right? Like this, this is, and it's not denominational. It's not, but the, one of the weaknesses of our systems is planters come to us in networks. I'm, I don't know what your situation. I don't know. But, but for everyone listening, they will know what I'm about to say. We go to a network. The network says, we will invest in you because you are going to take our, um, our brand, our denominate, whatever, and you're going to plant it out. And, you know, we will fund you. But when that's done, you're done, right? Like, like you're not, there's nothing set up afterwards. And I think even if people are doing their thing and the money is flowing, they're not always feeling that they themselves matter. It's the church that matters. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I think that we've got to get better at is, is modeling that you are more important to God than anything you can do for him. And, and I, I don't think we're modeling that to people. I honestly, I, I don't think we're modeling it. I don't think we're displaying it in how we do our church planting. We're not displaying it in how we take care of our church planters. Um, it's all about the mission, get it done, focus on that. But people matter. People, people matter. Uh, and, and how they are loved on should be priority one. Um, that's why I can talk about Brian Bloyd. That's why I can talk about Brett Andrews. That's why I can talk about Rob McDowell, who's a local guy. They just cared about us. Like, hey, let's, mm. let's, even when we were in a hard place, there were four or five churches that just rallied, got some funds together, or like, this will help you out a little bit. Yeah. This will help you. And if they hadn't done that, I don't know that we would have made it. 
That's awesome, man. Like those little things that you do that make such a big difference. Like I love that you pointed that out. Let me ask you, uh, you know, like when David, um, you know, he's given Ziklag when he's working for the Philistines, they oh. give him Ziklag. He's got all of his warriors and everything living there. While they go out to do something for the Philistines, the Amalekites come. I don't know if you remember that story. And they come and they raid Ziklag and they carry off his entire army's wives and children. So when they get back to Ziklag after they're trusting David, you know, they go back and it says, and they all pick up, you know, so David comes back, his wives and children are gone, everyone else's. And to make matters worse, it says they all picked up stones to stone David with, right? Um, And then there's that verse, which I want to hear your personal testimony of this and your own version of this, because the verse says, but David, he didn't have a rock to pick up and stone. They're all fingers pointing to him. But it says, but David comforted himself in the Lord or strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. So as you find yourself where you maybe don't have the supports around you or other people, whoa, you know, <laughs> we consider them stricken by the Lord, afflicted, you know, we, we turned our faces from him. Um, as you're in that scenario where you're, uh, you're having to really rely on God, what's been your testimony of just because we've talked about this is painful, this is confusing, it's bewildering. What's been your personal, but Damien, but Zeret strengthened themselves in the Lord their God? What's that look like for you right now? For me, it looks like looking back. Um, and you can see this in the story of the people of God. Whenever they got to a hard place, they always had to look back. They had to look back at where God had been faithful before at where God had showed up in times of lack, in times of struggle, in times of hardship. I could look back at when we had our son and I didn't have any models to look after and I have to figure out how to take care of a wife who just had surgery and a son who is struggling. And I remember in that moment, the father putting his hands around me and saying, I know what it's like to have a son whose life's at risk. I can look back at when we first got married and uh, the place she worked was taking care of our, of our food and our lodging. And literally the week we got back from our honeymoon, they were like, you don't have a job here. Well, kind of, she had a job, but he can't stay. Although we already told you, you could. And how God provided so often we can make the mistake that the people of God made is they, they failed to look back at where God had been faithful over time. And they were only focusing on what they were going through. Here's the reality. Pain is selfish. It's extremely selfish. It forces the eyes in. And whatever you're going through, you can only see what you're going through. You only focus on what you're going through. You you like in. But because God had been faithful, I could look back and go, oh, you showed up here, and you showed up here, and you showed up here. So my story has been that God has never left me. My story has been God has never abandoned me. My God has been faithful along the way. And even now, I feel abandoned. I feel forsaken, but I'm not. That's just how I feel. And I have to lead my feelings, even though my feelings are screaming in my ear. And it's not easy, and it's hard, and there's a lot of tears, and there's a lot of heartache, and there's a lot of stress, and a lot of breakdown, and a lot of sleepless nights. But when you honestly look at your story, I promise you, you will see that God delivered you out of this and out of this and out of this. For uh, example, David, David knew he could beat Goliath because he had faced other foes that were seemingly insurmountable. 
He beat the lion. He beat the bear. So he could trust. David, by that time, at Ziklag, he had already had some victories. He had already seen God's faithfulness over time. So David's like, mm, I'm going to remain faithful. God, if you don't get me out of this, then I'll die doing what you said do. I'm not going to bail on you because everything around me is screaming. Because life is trying to stone me. Because hardship is coming. And what I've had those late, those dark seasons of the soul and just had to go, God, but you've always been faithful. And I'm trusting your faithfulness even if I can't see it in this moment. I'm not going to let my selfishness or my selfish pain force me to see this. I'm going to see you and what you've done. So instead of focusing on my pain, I'm going to focus on the promise of who you are in my life. Mm. Man, I think this message is probably the most important message that we need to hear uh, in this season of ministry. I know, I know everybody's in individual seasons of ministry, but collectively as leaders in North America, of, uh, in church planting specifically, this is probably the biggest message. And if the pandemic isn't getting our attention to pay attention to rhythms and health and those identity issues, absolutely, we may move on without learning the biggest lesson that God has for us right now. And um, that's really what I'm hearing from you. Uh, Damien, how do you, how do you, I mean, you're in a new season, you're entering into a, 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 a season where you're uh, serving somebody else's vision that God's given to them, coming alongside of them. How do you do that and still stay faithful to who you are as a visionary, as a leader, as a apostolic leader? Um, you know, I mean, I know you're new into it, um, but how do you, how do you still balance those pieces of you in the midst of serving somebody else's vision? Well, uh, that's interesting. I just want to give a shout out to my buddy, Aaron Gable at LifeBridge Church. Uh, that guy is just, he's awesome. Um, one thing when he was saying, hey man, come work with me. Part of it was he said, I see who you are. I want you to be Damian Boyd. I'm not asking you to be me. I'm not asking you to figure this thing out. He's, let me say it this way. Too many, too often, when people have had success in ministry, we become arrogant. And we start to think that our way is the way. Our perspective is the, is the perspective. And we write books on it and all that. And if you're not doing our thing, then somehow your thing is lesser than my thing. I'm, I just will happen to be with somebody who's secure enough to go, dude, I'm just happy you're here. Let's go together. When I was meeting with the elders, when they pulled me in to kind of see if I was who they thought I was, they asked me a question. They said, um, what's your fear? And I told them straight up. I said, my fear is that you try to make me into you. I've worked too long becoming me. And I've spent too many years become a sec becoming a second-rate version of men I've admired. So now I'm real happy with me. And I'm not trying to be you. I want to bring me into your context. And if I can do that, then I think it would make you better. It, it, it starts with, once again, that identity piece of who am I? And at the time, I was struggling with my identity. But I still had to lean on what I know God has spoken about. And that's not an easy fight, but I had to stand in the truth of who he is in me and go, dude, I got to do this. Now, I'm still free to travel. 
because Aaron's stable. He's, he, he's like, dude, I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I want you to go other places. Be Damian Boyd. That's who I hired. I hired somebody that's a global guy that travels to Asia and Africa. That's who you are. Keep doing that. Just do it. Do it here. I'm giving you freedom to do it here. I don't think I could have served under somebody that wasn't secure. And that's the truth. Um, if you're an insecure jerk, I'm not a good fit for you because I am vehemently not anti you, just very pro me. <laughs> um, and that's not an arrogant, I think I'm all that way. It's just, I've had to fight to become me. I had to fight for confidence. I had to fight for abilities. And I'm not willing to give that up to make somebody else feel good about themselves because of their own insecurity. You know, and I'm, I'll, I'll lift you up and I will elevate and I'm doing that with Aaron and I'll, dude, I will be under you and I'm gonna make sure your vision flies because that's who I am. But at the same time, if I have to dull my light so that you can feel like you shine better, then maybe you just need to shine more. So that's kind of my approach <laughs> to that. It may sound mean, but dude, I'm getting too old for that. No, that's true. Part of it is it does come with age and wisdom to be secure with, with who God's made you to be. I think you're hitting on a, a huge point. That's why it's it's hard to, in your early 20s, really be in that place, you know? Um, but I mean, what you said, and I love what you said, I'm not anti-you, I'm just pro-me. I love that because what it is, it's a testimony that God's done something in your life, and you can't let that just be pushed aside, you know? And it's it's less to do about you know, uh, your experience and your, your uh, accolades and your credentials. It's more to do with, look, God has done a work, and we, let's not ignore that. You know, yes. let's not ignore that. And I, I think, man, I'm learning so much as you're saying that because, uh, you know, you and I, we, we've sit in some of the same rooms, and you know there's some high-capacity people around you, and it's easy to kind of cater towards and say, you know what, let me do what, let me do what their thing is, or let me, let me help get their thing going. But the reality is that, there's a unique call that only Damien Boyd can fulfill. And if you're f busy fulfilling somebody else's uh, caricature of you, then you can't be faithful to what God's called you to do. And I think for so many of us, especially young leaders, the reason why we have a hard time, hard time serving somebody else's vision is because we're so afraid that's going to get robbed from us. Yes. You know, that, that uh, freedom to be who we are. And I think that's so helpful to young church planters who... And again, this is not serving someone else's vision. Even within your own vision to plant the church that God's called you to plant, learning to be connected with a network, learning yeah. to be connected with the right kinds of people, and not not fearing that you're going to lose your voice or lose your philosophy of ministry. I think that's such important because it comes down to, do you know the work that God's done in your life, and can you stand on that work? Because if you can, then you can you can work with anybody pretty much, you know. And uh, I think I think that's that's except uh, for insecure jerks. Yeah, <laughs> insecure jerks. <laughs> now, but, but let me say that again. There are far too many pastors that use the pulpit for their insecurity. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a problem because you'll never be able to elevate great leaders around you. I think Rick Warren said something like if you're a seven in ability, you'll never be able to pastor an eight or a nine. Mm -hmm. Because you'll you'll be too insecure. But I think that happens when you're not free to go. It's my goal to make other people shine as a shepherd. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even as a husband, it is my goal to make sure my wife shines and without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. I am supposed to lay down my life for others like Jesus. This is yeah. gospel centered. Right. Like Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, I'm getting not supposed this to up? say the G word. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I'm teasing, but this this is hardcore at the core of everything we do. Yes. It is it is it is our calling card. So to have young leaders, and let me even say this, um, I had this conversation with the Hottie Lewis. Just the idea of so many guys that like us that come from an African-American context, we are serving under insecure jerks Mm. that we come out screaming, Mm. I'm ready to go do what God's called me to do. And we talk to church planning networks and church planning networks are like, well, who's sending you? You don't understand the dude that was trying to kill me a few moments ago. I was under Saul and he was trying to take me out. So I'm coming out looking for relief. And when I was coming through church planting, the question kept coming up, you know, who's your sending pastor? It's like, that guy wants to kill me. Yeah. And now I'm trying to walk in, but so many networks said, no, we don't want you until like a Todd Wilson goes, no, I know their story. Get behind them. They're good people. They just were treated poorly. And so when we get metrics about how many African-Americans are planting churches, it's like numbers are low. It's because we're fighting the church planting system. I had this conversation with uh, Dave Ferguson and he was just, he spoke into the fact that, um, in these conversations, they're held with privilege because we don't understand the journey people are going through to get to be yeah. okay. We're yeah. using metrics that we would use for the average Bible college kid right. who's trying to plant a church rather than this guy that's been serving faithfully, but he's getting spears thrown at him. And so now he's not qualified to pastor when really he was David the whole time. He may be more qualified than a lot of people. So we, gotta, we have to have pastors who deal with their own insecurities and stop trying to dumb down the people around them, but they're actually Christ-like and decrease themselves so they can increase others. You know, it's funny because you're saying this, and, um, I, you know, obviously I met your wife through uh, working under a guy named Mac Lake. Yes. Who uh, was an absolute genius on, on a million different things, but... He was the best leader I've ever served under for exactly the reason you're just saying. And that is that what he would do is he would invest himself. You were his ministry. If you were with him, he was going to develop you knowing that um, like some leaders, they come in and we're, like we've talked before, it's the mission and you are disposable and you are there. You're a tool to get the mission done. And that's how some people manage others. But for Mac, there was this, and I would tell people, they say, oh, what's, what's, what's Mac like? And I'm like, dude, he's the most Christ-like leader I've ever served under. First off, he was Christ-like. There was no weird power games. There was no weird ego. He was the smartest guy in the room. But we would, he, I remember we, we trained with him. We came away and he goes, right, let's debrief. And he de- debriefed our session. What did I do? You know, what did you do well? What did you not do well? Then he flipped it around. Let's debrief my session. And we both looked at each other like, this is the master. Like, no way. And he goes, no, no, I made tons of mistakes. Let's talk about it. Let's grow. And, and help me speak into it. Tell me how I can be better. <laughs> We're like, dang, dude. Then 
you know, like I said, he, he had this philosophy of like Jesus, if he poured into you and he developed you like Jesus did those 12 for three years, the ministry would go way beyond whatever mission he had originally that other guys would make a mission, make you a tool. It went exponentially. See what I did there? Exponentially <laughs> beyond. And but Peyton, the, the key, here's the key. And Daniel, you hit on this. This is what real discipleship is. Mac is one of my mentors. This is what real discipleship is. The, the discipleship process is not done until the people that you've poured into are pouring into other people. Until you have given, Jesus said, look, I'm going to do this work here. It's going to be relatively small, 12 guys, a larger group around them. I'll be on some big stages. But then those guys, their impact is going to go out. That's real discipleship. Real discipleship yeah. is not, I got 40 guys on the bench that are all awesome just waiting for me to die so that they can shine. No, I got them ready to go and I'm giving them chances and I'm, I'm looking forward to dying. I'm looking forward to, to, to being crucified because when, the, when they hit the ground, they're going to change the world. And that's real discipleship. Too often, we don't have true, honest discipleship. We have a bunch of peons with one demigod, and then we wonder why those guys never felt confident to go fulfill the mission. Yeah. But if the one guy said, I'm going to pour into these guys, and I'm going to make sure that they are everything God has called them to be, not many versions of me, but I'm going to let them shine, then we actually get disciples that make disciples. Amen. That was the other thing he was doing too. Along your point was um, he was pouring into, like you said, Jesus picked 12 guys. Mac was intentionally picking women and he was empowering them. Well, you're just blaspheming now. Where, where he was doing it in circles where that wasn't typically done. And he was empowering women and, and like exalt, lifting, like your wife, who was like, she, they, Mac would tell me, I said this before, Mac could say, oh, Zaret's going to come review your training. And I remember going, oh, no, give me Mac. Don't give me, because Zaret, she was, she was so good at what she did that it was almost, it wasn't like she was always kind, always professional, but it was like, wow, that's the big guns. You know what I mean? And he exalted people when that gifting came forward, he would really honor them and push them to the front. And he kind of like John the Baptist, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. There was this sense of God has gifted this person. Let me push them to the front. And I'm, I'm back here. You know, I don't need to be out there. And if the son of man can do it, why can't we? Wow. <laughs> right there. Wow. Yeah. If the image of the invisible God can do it, mm. why can't we? Amen. And that's a problem for me, man. That's why I said it's not real discipleship that many of us do. It's, it's demagoguery. And, 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 and I, I, we used to pastor at a, at a church. Uh, well, the church I pastored at, it was the building we pastored at, um, was a church that had the old thrones. Oh, wow. And I want one of those. I, I preach from the floor teasing. <laughs> because I, my, my statement was we all need to agree that Jesus is the only one that gets to sit on the throne. So <laughs> I am not sitting there. And that mindset is what I think we need to have. I'm not trying to sit on the throne. I want Jesus alone to sit on the throne and I'm going to sit with everybody else. 
and I'm going to give everybody else a chance to stand up front too, because that, that's real discipleship. That's beautiful. But if you get rid of the throne, can I have one? Okay. I don't own it. I, 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 I send it. If, if they ask me if I want it, I'll send it. I'm just teasing. My wife would just laugh at me. Yeah. Sit in it every time you tell her what you want and see how that's that works. right. That's right. Oh see how yeah. That works. <laughs> hey, Damien, um, man, you, you've served us so well. I mean, we, we've never asked uh, a guest on uh, this podcast to, to do this, but I'd love to do this with you. If, how can we pray for you, Zara Jr.? Uh, in this next season as God's leading you into a, a new amazing ministry, especially with digital. Um, how can we be praying for you and how can we keep spurring you on? Um, one, uh, just thank you for praying at all. That means a lot to us. Uh, I, I believe in prayer and prayer matters. Um, I think you can pray for one, my family. We're still navigating these tough waters. We're not out. I'm, I'm talking, but we're not done. It's not like, hey, I'm on the other side and now I'm eaten by the still waters. No, we are. The shadow is still on us. Um, you can pray for my son's health. We've been wrestling. We need to find new. Um, it sounds trivial, but it's very real to us. We need to find a new health care provider um, because we're paying as much in health care as we are in our mortgage. So when you talk about just how do you live, how do you take care of basic needs, we need a new handicap accessible vehicle. How are we going to afford that? Well, we could afford it if we had better health care. My wife's been applying for jobs forever and with some big, really big places. She's looking for great job opportunities and nobody's hiring right now. Um, she's talked to some very large companies. I'm not going to say any. And they're all like, yes, we're laying off, but we love you, um, which is hard for her right now. So she's doing these small contracts. So we're looking for greater opportunity there um, and for guidance. Um, I'm guidance in the work I'm doing, but then also guidance going forward. Uh, the beautiful thing about, you know, the place I'm working is like, dude, let's do this for a year and see what God does. But he's fully under the belief that God has more for me um, than, you know, just what I'm doing now. So when that time comes, I'm looking for bigger opportunities, more opportunities to walk in my call. Um, and it's wonderful and I'm going to serve where I am and I'm going to be faithful and do a great job. And then when God says go forward, I'll go forward there. So those are the areas, one for my son, um, in his health and making sure healthcare Two for my wife to find, uh, the kind of employment that she's actually looking for and three, God, guidance into mm. where he's leading us yeah uh, ultimately all right let me uh let me pray for us father in heaven we lift up the boyds to you and really thank you god for uh just his ability to not only hear um lord as damien's coming in saying i'm not an expert on this but but it needs to be talked about and it needs to be um to, to be brought out in the open. We, I know that Damien's experience and Zarek's experience is not um, unique with the, the pain and the bewilderment and the financial hardship. But Father, I do pray, um, as you've done such a beautiful work in their hearts through this, Lord, we've heard that. We've heard powerful gospel truths, Lord, um, just gospel bombs dropping left and right in this uh, webinar and this podcast. And Lord, we we would ask that you would prep them for the next thing because I know, Lord, that there will be a next something. And I pray, Lord, that doors would open for Zaret in the schools. Lord, I've seen some of what she's done 
in the schools. And uh, Father, I just pray that you continue to use her as you have in the past to help schools turn around. And Father, also, uh, she's a minister in her own right. I pray that she and Damien together would walk through this um, this next transition, Lord, this land between this wilderness, that they would stay close to the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and that you, Lord, would just move. And as you move, Lord, that they just stay close to you, knowing that that's where you'll lead, Lord, as they're close to you. And Father, I do pray that doors would open. And for Damien Jr., Lord, we pray that uh, as well, God, those needs would be met in Christ, that those needs would, would literally be met, whether someone um, is led to give to these missionaries, Lord, on the field, choosing rough neighborhoods and just is moved, Lord, to, to care for this need, um, Lord, or if there's some other strategic way that you open up for them, um, Lord, it's hard. I, I know it's hard, Lord, and these needs are important for Damien Jr.'s quality of life. So I ask, Lord, that you would help them to meet those needs. In Jesus' name, Jesus amen. Name. amen. All right, brother. Well, look, uh, it's been awesome having you. It's meant a lot to us. Um, uh, real quick, if those of you that are on here are um, interested in continuing conversations like this, specifically on issues of diversity, which uh, if you didn't know, Damien is actually one of our speakers for the roundtables. We've got our roundtables coming up uh, all throughout the fall. You can see there multiplication.org forward slash roundtables. And this is going to be uh, diversity issues discussed in local contexts. So no two is going to be the same. It's going to be like a snowflake. Your neighborhood is going to get a topic and a list of speakers unique to your neighborhood. And that is going to be chosen by the local leaders who will discuss and decide what your roundtables need to discuss. So uh, head on over there today and get that. And Damien, um, before we sign out, we've got just, you know, maybe 30 seconds for you because I know you've got a couple books. Um, tell us a little bit about those two books. Uh, the first book uh, released, uh, College Impact, uh, Tim Elmore was gracious enough to do the forward for it. It's for college students teaching them how to make a difference in the world. I've worked with college students forever. Um, the one that came out last year is In Search of Beautiful. And In Search of Beautiful, it's finding glimpses of God all around you. And we need mm. that now. We need to take our eyes off of our situation and put it on God. So hopefully this encourages the body. Awesome. Well, guys, be sure to pay. If you've liked some of what Damian Boyd is laying down today, make sure you pick up those books. And uh, we want to thank you, Daniel and I, uh, on behalf of Exponential, for joining us today for Frontlines. And we will see you again next week. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer -peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.